Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Timmy Gibson Show. I'm really excited to have um, Jonathan on the show today. Jonathan, how do you say your last name? Is it Asley? Asley, yeah. Asley. Okay, so I got it right. I, yeah. I wasn't sure exactly how to say it. Uh, oh. Very cool name. So I found you. I came across you on YouTube. I'm a relationship coach, matchmaker, date coach here in Kansas City. My main job, actually, I officiate weddings. Okay. And uh, kind of with that whole thing, I do a lot of uh premarital counseling. And then as well, after the couples get married, they'll end up, you know, calling me when they hit a rough patch or something. And so I, I watch a lot of YouTube, uh, videos of other relationship coaches or date coaches, just, you know, trying to learn and grow and study and hear what other people are saying. Anyway, I came across one of your videos on self-love and I'm like, Oh man, I love this guy. I got to give him a call and, <laughs> and see if I can get him on the show. So yeah, welcome to the Timmy Gibson show. I'm, I'm really grateful and thankful that you, uh, had, the uh, could make some time to come on the show. Well, I'm honored. I'm thank you. So, um, I'm also, by the way, I am a, um, I, I got, I, I can officiate weddings, by the way, I've officiated one in my life. I've seen that. I saw a that. Friend of mine. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, kind of a fun thing to have that in my quiver, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so. So let's jump into it. What do you want to talk about? Yeah. So a couple things. Well, first, so you wrote a book called self love. What the heck is self-love anyway? What the like heck is self-love anyway? Which that's yeah, my question. <laughs> you know, so, and, and where it was birthed was I started to write blogs about what, it, what self-love means, you know, from, you know, the concept of self-care to, you know, self-worth, self-esteem, self-confidence, self-reliance. And I just wrote a series of blogs and then I turned it into a book and it's a very simplistic way. I, I, I will say this is the first or second grade version of what self-love is. Okay. It's not this deep, you know, I, I'm going to confess it's not this deep understanding, but the idea is to, you know, take self-ownership of life, take, be self-reflective, be self-introspective and, and, and approach life from a, you know, what I call victor consciousness, um, because sadly, you know, particularly here in the United States, we are surrounded by victim consciousness. And, you know, I truly believe that we have the power within us to, for lack of a better word, direct our happiness. And where this was birthed, um, the book was actually birthed after the loss of my 19-year-old son. Oh, man, and I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. Um, and, 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 and I'm in a good place. This happened five years ago. And I, I, I made a conscious choice. I can grieve with suffering or I can grieve with love. And what it occurred to me was, um, and what that means is, you know, I, I really evaluate this, this circumstance, if you will, this experience, this tragedy. And I knew my son would want me to live the fullest, richest life possible. Yeah. And, and, and so as I reflected upon that, it really gave me the inspiration to write the book because most people would think, oh, that's the horrific thing that could happen in your life. But actually, if I go back 15 years earlier or 12 years earlier or something like that, um, I had lost my high-paying corporate job uh, in, in the mid 2000s, you know, and then I was going through a divorce. And believe it or not, 
losing my job was the loss of my identity. Going through a divorce was this traumatic experience. And, and for years, I was lost in the tunnel. I was in the pit of despair. And I got introduced to personal development, self-help, and spiritual work. And I was able to dig myself out of this pit of despair. So by the time my son passed away, it was as if I already gave myself a vaccination to you know, trauma, if you will. And what I mean to say is I've shored up who I am as a person that I didn't go down the rabbit hole of suffering and despair by the time my son passed away. And um, don't please don't misunderstand for anyone's listening. It's still a horrific thing. I, it was very painful and not sure. to even minimize it or gaslight it in any way. I'm simply saying, because I was solid in who I am, I took an approach of grieving with love instead of suffering. Yeah. And so, uh, and, it, and, and the work prior to him passing away was painstaking. I have over 3,000 hours of personal development workshops and trainings and videos and books I've amassed. So I did a lot of work to get to a place where, and I'll be candid with you. I kind of love myself. I'm not like here to profess. Sure. I love myself. And my love cup is running full. Like, look, I was like a week ago, I was beating myself up emotionally. I was crucifying myself, you know, on the cross over something that happened. And at the same time, I recover so much quicker than I had in the 50 years prior to doing this work. That's usually a good gauge, isn't it? To kind of find out where you are is, is how long something either bothers you or how long it keeps you down. The shorter yeah, it gets, it seems like that means you're in a better place. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I remember going through my divorce and anytime I had a conversation with my ex-wife, I literally would be emotionally distraught for like three I or four days. I completely understand. And, and, <laughs> and, and then like it went from three or four days to a day to 12 hours to you know, to a couple hours. And then, and, and, and by the way, we have a very good relationship now. In fact, we are much stronger because of this experience between the two of us. But I think back to like those early days, I would emotionally spin out of control. And I, I think one of the fundamentals of self-love is the capacity to regulate your feelings and, and regulate your emotions. Yeah. Um, and and I was I, I watched a short video some time ago that talked about when John Glenn, who was the third American up in space, um, you know, he shot out of a cannon, if you will, right? And you know, I mean, you're you're on this rocket, you know, where a billion sticks of dynamite are firing you up in space, and and then you're orbiting the Earth, and I believe that his heart rate never got above sixty five beats a minute. Huh. Like, I mean, you think about this, you're shot out of a cannon, you would think your heart right. is raising. And what the, the, the piece that I was watching was talking about the capacity to regulate. That's really regulating your emotions. Right. And, you know, people that go through training, that go through military training, they go through astronaut training, all of that training is designed to regulate their emotions. So fear doesn't take over. 
And, you know, what's the opposite of love? Fear, right? Or at least that's the way I interpret right. it. It could be something else. I don't know. But I, I've interpreted the opposite of love as fear. How can we regulate that so fear doesn't take over? And then I believe we have the capacity to consciously choose to love, even in the face of, of um, you know, of, of anger and resentment. And, you know, I, I remember, and, and forgiveness is a piece of this puzzle too, because, you know, I, I think of, um, and I'm going to give one example and I'll let you go down another rabbit hole if you'd like. Sure. Um, back in the LA, I, I grew up in LA, I grew up in LA and the LA riots, there was a man who was hit with a brick in his face, Reginald Denny yep. by this man named, uh, football Williams, I believe. And, and even in, you know, he forgave his perpetrator. And I thought, wow, what an act of love to forgive someone who did something heinous to you. Yeah. Now, I'm not suggesting we absolve someone of their responsibility, you know, that what he did was wrong. Sure. But that's that's a reflection of self-love, that he loves himself enough to love another human being, to forgive their um, their indiscretion, if you will, their their um, their action. Like, imagine if everybody could operate from that place, what the, how the world would be different. Absolutely. So um, are you, do you come from a religious background or is it more just spirituality? No, actually, um, uh, my parents are from Istanbul, Turkey, and my father briefly tried to uh, indoctrinate me in Islam um, and, and not from the radical perspective sure, of Islam, of course. but the actual real, you know, heart center place of Islam. Sure. And, and as a child, I rejected that quickly. So I didn't have much of a religious upbringing. And ironically, I went to a Catholic uh, college. Um, I'm sorry. Don't tease <laughs> Well, actually, but, you know, it was a good experience, too. You know, sure. I mean, I was like, I took this class, What is Faith in Jesus Christ? And I'm like, I got a D in it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, and uh, you know, I, I my, my spiritual path started back in my 20s when I got uh, I was given the book, uh, you can heal your life by Louise Hay. Oh, I love Louise Hay. And, and interesting, I started to do metaphysics for a short period of my life. And then I met my, uh, my now ex-wife, but I met her and I adopted a practice of spirituality right at about that time. So the irony of that is that by the time I went through a divorce, the movie The Secret came out. And I remember watching The Secret. And I'm like, this resonates with me. Like everything about the law of attraction and spirituality and personal development and your thoughts create your feelings and stuff resonated with me. And then I became, that was kind of the reemergence into a spiritual way of being, of, um, of, um, you know, whether it's um, Abraham Hicks, I really got into and Wayne Dyer, I got into and, you know, Dennis Waitley. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then the evolution, you know, I, I did, I did, um, I did the Hoffman process to heal my childhood wounds and traumas. And I did insight seminars to to work on those parts of my personality that are prickly and, you know, it's interesting. I've identified I have a, a limiting character that's 
believes he's both stupid and yet at the same time he's righteous. It's like these opposing <laughs> forces happening. And, and, and I catch myself, like I can go, oh, I'm being righteous or, oh, I, you know, I believe I'm stupid, you know, because someone said something to me. And, and I think self-awareness is like, and there's a poem that talks about you're walking down the street and there's a deep hole in the sidewalk and you fall in. And at first you say, it's not my fault. And then you walk down that same street, there's same hole in the sidewalk and fall again. But you still don't take ownership of it. And then you're walking down that street, you fall in and you go, oh, it's my fault or it's my responsibility. And you get out much quicker. I think when you can get to that point where you just walk right to the edge of the hole and you either fall in and get out a second later or you can avoid it, that's really what self-awareness, that's an, uh, you know, um, um, an example of what I think self-awareness, self-love is all about. And self-awareness is a real gift. I mean, I, I, one of the things I have harped on before in my podcast, um, is the topic of just all the different relationships that I've coached through the years, you know, or if, if a couple go, if someone goes through a divorce and they're seeing me as a, as a single, it's, it's always their ex, you know, he, yeah. my ex was a narcissist. My next was ex was this, was this, and I, sometimes I, in the session, I'd be like, Hey, listen, like, can you reflect on maybe what part you played in the yeah. demise of your relationship, because if you can't figure it out now, granted, there might be those rare, rare occasions where you were just complete, you know, married to a complete a-hole who was narcissistic, abusive and all that. And, you know, you were just trying to survive. I mean that, but if all six of your husbands were that way, you know, I'm, I'm a little <laughs> leery. I'm, I'm thinking that maybe you're the common denominator. So, you know, what does it take? It, 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 this is also when people uh, get fired or lose a job. It's the boss was a jerk and they expected too much and they underpaid and da, da, da. It's never that, hey, you know, I got fired because I wasn't meeting the sales quota. I showed up late. My I was half in it. Not really even, you know, they never tell you what's going on really. And if you were to talk to the boss, he would have a reason why you were fired. And if you talk to the person that was fired, it's a whole nother reason. Yeah. I, I find that so fascinating how people can't look in the mirror and really look in there and see that there's a booger and realize that I should probably work on that. Yeah. Well, I think the ego is a very sneaky, almost devil-like um, um, I, can't, I can't identify what the ego is per se. I'm just going to say, you know, a part of our psyche, if you will. And there's a healthy part of ego. And then there's this kind of sneaky, snarky way the ego wants to avoid pain. Yeah. Um, and to avoid, you know, looking in the mirror means you have to do the real hard work of saying, uh, the hardest thing to say is for many people is taking ownership of their experience. And again, that's not to absolve, you know, like what you talked about, the narcissist or, or abuse or anything. Sure. I'm not absolving anyone's bad behavior. But to say, how did I contribute? The ego wants to avoid pain. And so what it does is it does this turnaround, I believe, you know, of, of almost a little bit of righteousness. I'm the victim. And you're the perpetrator, right. if you will. 
And and it's by the way, and we are we are bombarded by this in in media. We're bombarded by this in social media. We are bombarded by victim consciousness so much so that you know it's it gives people a pass for that. And I think the 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 litmus test for this is: Are you happy, or are you miserable? Are you content? Or are you like, in other words, look at your life and say, am I, you know, you know, for the person who's fairly happy, I suspect they take ownership of their choices in life. And the ones who aren't happy on a consistent basis, and I'm not talking about situational things that you might be going through, like, like a loss of a child or a loss of a job or divorce. Um, you know, but are you consistently unhappy with your life? And self-awareness self-reflection goes okay let me connect the dots to where this where i why i'm feeling the way i do what if i go you know connect the dots backward and most we will we find in the personal development the the you know realm of human behavior that it stems from something that happened in your childhood or multiple things that happened in your childhood yeah and so we we think of childhood wounds and traumas oftentimes as true physical abuse or true emotional wounding. We think of it in the extreme. And yet the reality is, is we we all grew up with micro traumas, micro traumas, right? You know, micro PTSD, micro, and all of these little things affect who we are as adults. And so when you when you're working with a therapist you're working with a counselor you're working with a a coach we first look back to where it all started because we were born of love right i mean we were born like you know like a puppy dog you know happy wagging our tails you know it's our environment that creates who we are and it creates our negative patterns and our limiting beliefs in our life and then boom we become adults and most guys think they're invincible, you know, right? <laughs> Men think that they can jump off a cliff and nothing's going to happen. And, and you know, women are, you know, uh, well, I think of men in this particular context because I can't speak as a woman. Um, and then what happens for most people, not all, but most, you get married, you enter into a relationship coming back to the counseling you do. And most humans have weak emotional maturity and weak relationship skills, like right. weak skills. Like I never was taught how to be a good communicator with a partner. I was never taught this stuff. I have weak skills. And what happens is when two people get together with weak skills and it's almost the entire planet, if you will, right? you know, we have this expectation that it's the other person's fault. Right. Um, I, I, I'm sure as a counselor, you know, and, and, and I've spoken to hundreds of therapists who say the same thing. Couples that come into our office point the finger at their partner. They're both pointing the finger at the other yes. person. <laughs> them, right? And, and the other person's fixed them. And, and you know, the, that's the, imagine how hard it is as a therapist to help somebody who's not looking inward. And then you, and, you know, and I'm sure there's, you know, there's, some legitimacy to some of it, right? Sure. If I'm not discounting that. Self-awareness is always taking ownership of your part. 
at a hundred percent of your part. And that's, that's speaking of when you're working with couples, that's the most, uh, the cup, my favorite kind of couples to work with is when they both, they might have grievances towards each other, which surely they do, but, but they also are taking ownership. I even had a couple come in and, and he had, uh, had an affair and yeah. she was taking ownership of her lack of interest in sex and different things. And I thought, wow, like she definitely wasn't letting him off the hook and giving him an excuse, but she was yeah. definitely owning her part of it. And I thought, wow, it would have been so easy for her to be like, he's a cheater. He's a piece of crap. And, and just totally pushed all the blame over on him. And most everyone would have agreed, you know, we'd have been like, oh yeah, well, you know, he's a, he cheated. So right. yada, yada, yada. If we get, but if we really got to the core of what he was feeling and, and he struggled articulating this to his partner to some degree, because this is what happens. I suspect in his core, he wasn't feeling loved. Right. And so he wasn't feeling connection and he didn't know how to do it. So he reached out to somebody else that would. And oftentimes it happens innocently. Yeah. You're communicating with someone else. There's just a little bit of connection. And then we, uh, we, you know, kind of run with it, but, um, it's a core. Everything comes back to the following core. I'm not feeling good enough. I'm not feeling loved. I'm not feeling likable. That's the way I interpret it. I'm not saying that's true. That's the way I interpret it. I think most people are struggling with I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable and I'm not likable. And so if, if anyone listening right now is feeling this, that is the invitation to do, to begin a ritual, to begin a practice of self-love. And, and they're simple. It can be as simple as starting your day with meditation. It could be listening to, um, you know, shamanic music or, or something that brings you joy. It can be as simple as that to start. And, and maybe it's working with a therapist. Um, and also, you know, I think it's important to recognize a lot of our traumas stored in our body. So, so doing emotional release work, which is taking that energy that's been stored in our body and, and, and letting it, you know, transmute out of us. These are just some of the things to do. Sure. Um, and little by little. And, and, you know, I know for me, it was a good 10 to 15 year journey to get. And it's all it's a journey every day. But I, I feel like the tipping point for me doing work took me a good decade. Yeah. It's not like you can go to a workshop and, ah, oh, you know, it's all, I'm those, healed. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the misconception. And but the tipping point where I feel like I, I love myself more than before, it took me about 10 years to go through this experience. And, and, and it's still, I'm, I feel like, you know, <laughs> I'm still scratching the belly of the ant. Okay. Right. So, right. You know, I, I am not here to profess in any sense that I am the master at this, you know. Um, forgiveness, compassion. Those are like two incredibly powerful words. And when I think of forgiveness, it's not absolving somebody of their indiscretion. But I think of and, and I think of it twofold, whether it's directed towards another human being, but most importantly, directed to ourselves. Forgiveness, if you take apart the word forgiving, and like the last 
you know, forgiveness, the NES, forgiving love, like giving yourself love. Yeah. And self-love is like a vaccination to emotional chaos. And and really practicing compassion, especially for people that wrong you. I had a I had a person write a, a pretty horrific thing to me on my social media the other day. Very and it was an intentional attack. It wasn't, you know, in their mind. And but I know that it's just a projection sure. of their own feelings. I, I know that. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I they can argue, they could argue it a different way, but I clearly know that. Right. They probably don't even believe they did anything egregious. Okay, they they really probably don't. They they probably don't even know they did something to hurt me, and and maybe they did it intentionally to want to hurt me. But you know what? I'm like, you're just a hurt person. Your little child is hurt for whatever reason. I'm going to have compassion for you. Now, I didn't do this a decade and a half, two decades ago. I'd be like, "Fuck you, you blah 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 blah." blah. <laughs> I mean, I would go into a you know a war, a tirade with a person. But I can energetically send, I didn't do it publicly. I can energetically sell this per, send this person love. And, and I feel better for it. I'm not forgiving them for them. I'm doing all of this for me. Right. Not, and by the way, and I don't mean in a narcissistic way. I just mean for my, my chi. Sure. Well, forgiveness is as much as that we think it's giving you know, forgiveness to someone else, really forgiveness is freeing yourself from the pain and the bitterness and the malice that will eventually overtake you if you hold on to it. Well, it's interesting because this particular incident, um, it beat me up for a few days. I'll be candid with you because you know, even their, their words are a reflection sometimes of my own inner thoughts of my own way. I beat myself up. You know, I, we humans don't recognize many, or let me reframe that. Most humans don't recognize how our own thoughts about ourselves, how we self-crucify. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, 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 like you would never do that to a child, right? You would never treat a child as cruelly as we treat ourselves. Right. And yet we all have a little child inside of us that just wants to be loved. Yeah. And so, you know, this took me off the rails for a few days and I you know, worked on self-forgiveness and compassion for myself, forgiving this person, being compassionate for this person. And I feel better, you know, for it. There's still a little bit of a charge. Sure. If I'm being really honest, there's still a little charge. Um, that's the work. Yeah. That's what it is to and and to have a practice to do this on a regular basis is what a self-love is all about. What would you what would you say because you talk a, I think you deal a lot with people in midlife which I'm 54 yeah. um back when I was probably 48 49 I went through my midlife crisis. I got divorced back in 2019, was single for yeah. Three and a half, almost four years, and then just recently got married. Um, met just the a wonderful. I got really, 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 really lucky. I just met someone just so I'm so compatible with. You know, when you marry young in your twenties, you know, like you said, I wasn't trained on how to communicate and how to really love someone and do. You know, I was twenty something. You know, I was just <laughs> young, You're dumb, and you know what? Yeah. So 
um, you know, this time around, of course, I did the work, did the therapy, did just, you know, divorce was the most was the most painful thing I've ever been through. I've lost uh, grandparents. I've I've lost my biological father died. And then my mm -hmm. sister, my younger sister passed away about 10 years ago. So I've, you know, gone through some some grief. Going through a divorce was probably the biggest thing just because I came out of a religious background. I was very, I'm not religious anymore. I would say I'm just a spiritual agnostic, but I was, you know, super religious and, and, you know, pastoring a church. And anyway, so going through a divorce, you know, and then leaving my spiritual, my religious upbringing, I mean, it was just a talk about a change. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. living a one, it, like I'm not even this, it's like I literally have a whole new life. And I'm I'm way happier, way more fulfilled, way more at peace. I mean, there's just there's a big story there, um, but part of it was part of the journey was finding out who the heck Timmy is. Like, who am I? What do I believe? And you're right, it's about that self love. And when I finally got to the place where I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, you know what, I really love myself. Like, I I just I'm I'm proud of who I am. I like who I am. I like what I do, and just all these things. It, it wasn't too much longer after that, that I, that I met my now wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's take a quick pause for a commercial break. We'll be right back. And so, you know, it's, it's just been such a, such a powerful journey of, of self-discovery. And, and like I said, when I came across some of your work and, and it was really focused on that self-love, um, it, it just really spoke to me because I thought, man, that's, that is so true. It's, it's when you can truly not just love yourself, but also be honest with yourself yeah. and, and, and really, you know, I, there was early on when I was first going through this journey, man, I had to look way, in the Tim, I want to be mindful of yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I started the new segment and it's going to run until you have to go. Okay. Oh, oh, got it. I didn't know that. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. I did it real smooth. Oh. I paused and I oh, clicked sorry. it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. 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 <laughs> it's all good. Well, anyway, okay. So, um, can I can I um, give you my thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah. So, I grew up. Um, I'm a tail end baby boomer, practically a Gen Xer, right in that range. And um, and for my upbringing, I was taught to um, go to college. You know, by the time I was 18, go to college, get a job, meet a girl, get married, buy a house, start a family. That was the programming I had. Right. Okay. And, and I followed it to the letter. I mean, I got married at 29, you know, I had my first child at 33 and I really didn't know. Uh, and, and my, my role was to be the provider protector. And I, I built, you know, I had this corporate job. I started to make lots of money. I bought us a big home. I did all that. But I didn't know how to be a husband. And quite frankly, I was terrified of being a father on right. so many different <laughs> levels. You know, I mean, it wasn't this like, oh, you know, I love being a dad kind of thing. I know I actually struggled with it, you know, and on a variety of different levels. I, I was, and, and I was also kind of in a miserable place throughout a big part of my marriage because, you know, I was so focused on the job and all the intricacies and the politics and the game playing and having to navigate all that. And, and, and so, and I was completely unaware of who I was as a person. So 
naturally we grew apart you know we slept at separate rooms at some point and then we we agreed it was best to move on um and 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 so then i i found myself going through the unraveling of the tapestry of this life i built with this other person to now trying to figure out who i am on my own and yet I still had to pay the bills, you know, for for the family, and I had to still, you know, do the see my kids on the Wednesday and the weekends and do all that stuff. And I was in, I was in, I was lost. And then to make matters worse, I lost my corporate job, this high-paying job. And I'm in the midst of a divorce. Oh my god! I'm in the midst of losing my job, and I was depressed. So much so that I reached a point where I went to bed wishing I didn't wake up. Yeah. And and the story I share, I, I I've heard this from you know hundreds, if not thousands, of men, something along the lines of something similar. And and I went through the dark night of the soul. I I I think there's not enough attention to give to what men experience in divorce. And let me be clear for anyone listening. I, I believe women have, have every right to, you know, we, we've been in a, both a misogynistic and patriarchal society to some degree, and they have their, their grievances, but there isn't much attention drawn to the emotional effects men go through, um, you know, whether it's divorce or any change of circumstance. Sure. And for a lot of people, they choose drugs and alcohol as their self-medication. If it wasn't for this trauma of divorce for me, it wouldn't have been a catalyst for change. I was humbled big time. And I believe that we, when we have a humbling event, we're given a gift. Yeah. And the gift could be to get up and start over again. And, and I went from a, a corporate insurance broker to how the hell did I become a dating and relationship coach? You know, like, <laughs> like, and, and the irony was my addiction to my, my self-medication during my divorce was my online dating addiction. Interesting. Was, like you're on all yeah. 70 apps and doing all the things. Oh, well back then there weren't apps. There were just, you know, you had to use your laptop or your desktop, but gotcha. there was match.com and okay. Cupid and plenty of fish and J date and millionaire match and all these sites. And yeah, I was on them. I mean, there were times I was having instant message conversations with like, you know, like on the app or not the app, but the site, there would be an instant message feature. Yeah. I would be sometimes talking to three or four women at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And, and frankly, Timmy, I wasn't actually meeting any of them. I was listening to women share their experiences. And what was interesting, I was just making friends. I had friends all over the, the country. I was just talking. I was listening. I was, and, and, a couple of them say, hey, Jonathan, you know, I know we're not going to explore a romantic relationship, but will you help me look at my profile and help me make it better? And so <laughs> yeah. I'd say, oh, I think these pictures suck. This picture's good. You should change this in your bio, blah, blah, blah. And I realized, hey, I'm good at this. And so I, my, I actually started to charge for improving women's profiles. Um, and I used Facebook as my kind of my medium to get my message out. And I, I put together a cheesy website and 
It's called Understand Men Now uh, <laughs> as a as a, you know, just a way to, you know, get a little bit of a calling card going. And all of a sudden I got asked to do radio and television and things were happening. And I'm like, I I'm like, I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. So I immersed myself with every relationship book I could get my hands on. Yeah. What'd you learn? I, <laughs> yeah, I learned about what it takes to be in a good relationship. And then in the, and, and this was 17 years ago. And, you know, I would say for the first few years I was winging it, but then I kind of had a knack for helping people identify their own, you know, how, how we, how our choices reflect our outcomes. And it's morphed into, you know, I'm a, I, I'm going to be, I'm proud to say I'm considered a very well-respected coach in the industry. And I have hundreds, if not thousands of clients. Um, I, I haven't measured it. So I, I know sure. I've worked with thousands of people, but I, and I have marriages, engagements. I, I just got a text message from a client the other day. I'm in a happy relationship and I know the difference. And she goes, it was because of you, Jonathan. And I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages like that. So I know I'm doing some good in the world yeah. and there's no science to this. There's no, you know, there's no, you know, you, it, not one size doesn't fit all, but most everybody just wants, they want love. And what do you think is the, what do you think are some of the key components to a happy, healthy relationship? Like, you know, compatibility, connection, chemistry, uh, well, so, okay, great question. So in the dating realm, I've kind of identified of what I call the relationship iceberg. Now, you know, when you're, you, you know, like uh, the Titanic is an iceberg, right? And the yeah. top of the iceberg is above the waterline. And to me, that is attraction or chemistry because we see it. It's the first thing we see, right? Yeah. Do you, are we attracted to this person? We, we could talk to, you know, we could be walk up to a stranger, but that's the first thing we notice is the attraction. But what's below the waterline is much larger in an iceberg. And that is compatibility. Shared values. Like, you know, you, you pretty much share the same values. I mean, closely. I mean, we don't mean this as a science. Um, and, and we would think that most people think of honesty, integrity um, as, as top values. But I'm talking about those other values in your life, whether it's charity or punctuality or reciprocity or or health, you know, these are all different types of values sure. and some people view them differently. Spirituality. Yeah. Exactly. So do we share the same values close to it? Number two. Now I work with people in midlife. So I call that after baby making years and before retirement. The capacity to blend your lives together, because unlike in your twenties, you, you operate almost like a blank sheet of paper, but by the time you hit 40, 50, or even 60, you, you've got a couple chapters or you've got a lot of pages filled, right? Right. And, and can your life fit into my life and can my life fit into your life? I would say for midlife folks, this is probably, you know, probably the greatest challenge because, now I'm going to make a judgment here. Women believe this way more than men. Well, if we love each other, everything will magically work out. Like that's the, the fantasy people have adopted that love fixes problems. 
Love doesn't fix problems. Intentionality, (laughs) intentionality and being prudent and being logical. So if you have a lifestyle that is incompatible with one another, all the, the, see, the problem with love is lust and limerence is the early stages of dating. We, we are in this euphoric space that we believe that fixes incompatibility. But the most important piece of this puzzle, the, the real biggest part of the iceberg is emotional maturity and relationship skills. Most humans have weak emotional maturity, weak capacity to regulate their emotions, weak, and weak skills of communicating. You know, you can say all day long the relationships are all based on communication, but most people are delusioned that they're good at communicating their thoughts right. and their feelings. As a therapist, I, I've watched this show on Showtime called Couples Therapy, and it, it, it fascinates me how poorly people articulate their feelings to one another because they're in a state of agitation they're in a state of fear they're in a state of anxiety and properly articulate and then add to that the ability to be heard right it's one thing you share your feelings but the can the other person actually hear it yeah because context is oftentimes skewed you know context would be let me give you a crude example you know i could look at the color blue but you might look at it and say that's royal blue and i go no that's navy blue well, it's, we're looking at blue, but we're looking at it from two you know, different pair of glasses. And a lot of times people don't converge with one another because they view the events differently. And they're so rigid in their thinking. That's why a lot of times communication is so challenging. So, so you know, and, and by the way, let me just point out something that very few people really realize, okay? <laughs> You know, marriage in and of itself is not a guarantee of relationship success, given that 50 plus percent of first marriages end in divorce. And I would venture to say of any of those that stayed married for a, a 10 to 20 percent of it is because of obligation, not happiness. Right. And then of second and third marriages fail at a 65 to 75 percent rate. So. What does that say about human beings that they it's the marriage is not a guarantee of relationship success, you know, right. And happiness. Now I'm not suggesting I'm a big believer in marriage. I'm a big believer in couples making real commitments to one another, but statistically speaking, you're going to fail. <laughs> right. Like you wouldn't get on an airplane with that kind of, of statistics. Right. Right. Oh, it's going to crash 75% of the time. Fuck, I wouldn't want to get on that plane. Yeah, I'll, I'll walk. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, so, okay, so we know this, right? So what can we do to mitigate this? Well, make, you know, first is that self-awareness of, of know thyself. You know, the biblical phrase, know thyself. That's yeah. like the first piece. And then be a bit discerning and pragmatic in your dating life. That's what I teach is discernment in my coaching is pick people that you're aligned with because then that puts the odds in your favor. And, and particularly is to evaluate someone's emotional health. 
And that takes going deeper than the surface of, of attraction and physical, you know, that physical chemistry. It requires being really radically discerning and being able to walk away, even if you have this great, fantastic chemistry. Great chemistry oftentimes take off like a rocket and they crash and burn. Yeah. So, yeah, you need way um, more than, than t- what I, I call tickles in the tummy. You gotta yeah. have, you gotta have more Butter than fly. tickles in the oh, tummy. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and you know, this is why I'm fast. This is why I do what I do. I'm fascinated at human behavior. I mean, why the choices we make as human beings, myself included, you know, and I recognize that to me, life is a journey. It's not a destination. And even the relationship in and of itself is part of the experience. And so, you know, a relationship isn't measured by the test of time. The relationship is measured, in my opinion, by the quality of how two people choose to interact with each other and coming from a heart-centered place of love. Yeah. What do you, you know, feel are some of the bigger, the bigger challenges for that midlife crowd? You know, they, they, they were married for 20 some years They're They get divorced and boom, they're back out on the market in their, you know, mid forties or early fifties. What, what seems to be their biggest delusion? Well, okay. Great question. So I think for women, um, I, and I, again, I work with women, so I, I hear this is, I, I have a bias in this regard. I think women believe love conquers all. I believe the, cha- okay, so that's their, for lack of a better word, their delusion. Yeah. I think for men, when you're in your 20s and 30s, and you've made the choice that you want to get married and start a family, you actually have a specific goal. And you're looking for a wife, okay? And when you're looking for a wife, you're way more discerning, okay? After somebody goes through a divorce in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, that purpose of a, a, a wife or family doesn't exist. I think men, then don't know what they want. They know they want companionship. They know they want connection. They know they want sex. They know they want these things. But there's no container of what that looks like. Because first off, a significant percentage of men are not looking to remarry. So that container doesn't exist because they feel like they got burned. Interesting. So the container of a relationship is a very fluid thing. So, and I mean fluid, right? Like, you know, like, oh, because a lot of men will say, oh, I don't want anything serious. I'm taking it one day at a time because they don't want to commit to another person that they don't know. Right. You know, it used to be a hundred years ago, people m- met and married all inside of 12 days, you know, right, right. Uh, because if you wanted to get laid, you had to get married kind of thing. Right. Um, So men lack direction. And here's the funny thing about our society. Even our, you know, and this is religious even, you know, it's men are the leaders of the relationship. 
Like they're, you know, it's, uh, you know, they are the leaders of the dating process. They do the asking, they do the paying. They're the leaders, right? And I say as a woman, like you're giving the job to the wrong person because he, most men don't have direction once they're in midlife. They just know they want some connection, some companionship. So a lot of men are going to be, well, it's going to be at my beck and call. Now, if you add the men who have wealth or resources, they are oftentimes, it's my way or the highway. Not always, but oftentimes. Sure. So it's going to be at their beck and call because they bring something to the table, resources. And some woman will go, they'll, they'll abandon their own needs because of those resources. Um, men, and the fact is, is we've allowed hookups situationships, friends with benefits, and casual relationships to be the norm. When I, let me be clear. When I say we've allowed, I'm just saying it is, be, let me reframe that. It has become the norm. Like in culture. Yes. Culturally speaking, the fact is, is because women also, so I come back and women believe love solves everything, but women are afraid to speak their truth. And I'm here to say to any woman listening, look, at the minute you have physical intimacy with someone, the minute the penis gets to go inside the vagina, you have every right to make requests of this person. You have every right, okay? But I've watched women have duct tape over their mouth because they're afraid to speak their truth. And the minute they do, what do men say? Well, you know what, I need a little more time. Let's take it slow. You know, you didn't take it slow getting into my pants, but you sure now want to take it slow for commitment. Yeah, interesting. Because, yeah. because you don't know what the fuck you want. I'm sorry if it's, uh, I apologize. No, I'm, I'm a big cusser. <laughs> it's all okay. good. <laughs> okay. so, so, you know, like, I think the real sadness I, I witnessed with probably 80% of the men who are in the dating marketplace today that are over 40 is they don't know what they want. They know they want companionship. They know they want connection. They know they want sex, but they don't know what that container looks like because we don't have, we don't have a blueprint of what that looks like other than marriage. And, and that's the real, I mean, I want everyone listening to this to think about this. There are no, there is, I mean, maybe living together is the next closest thing of a container. But dating is really, these days, dating is just a long, drawn-out version of friends with benefits. People, you live in your home, I live in my home, we get together on the weekends, yeah. we're in a relationship with each other, we spend time together, we have sex together, but there's no, very few people have a direction. That's what's missing here today, is clear boundaries and standards and direction, and because it's so ambiguous. And I don't have an answer, by the way. Here, I, yeah. okay, let me be clear. I don't have an answer. So the fact that I do this for a living and I can't give you an answer. Yeah. So, you know, we invest in other people. You know, it used to be like, I look at my mom and dad. They were married 66 years before my mother passed away. Oh. You know, they, they were fully all in till death do us part. 
and they went through their trials and tribulations. But we, we, we're never, very few people are all in. And here's the other dilemma. One person could be all in and the other person has doubts. Right. And that fucking sucks. Yeah. It sucks to be, I'm all in and you're not. Right. And sometimes that person isn't all in because they have childhood wounds and traumas or adult traumas that makes them scared. We have a very scared population, emotionally speaking, in the relationship realm. Yeah. And it doesn't make that person bad for being scared. It's just, I'm here to say it's those people that do personal development, self-help and spiritual work on a daily basis that overcome their fears. So just like when I talked about Glenn, John Glenn in the rocket ship, through training and training and training, he was able to regulate his emotional state because that's all a reflection of emotion and he was in a state of calm. And I would venture to say that a very small percentage of the population do the work. Now, the other big piece that I didn't bring up, and I, I think I want to reserve these last few minutes for this. It used to be we did relationship in a community. You know, yeah. you did it with a community. You had your family, you all lived near each other. You, you know, like people, you know, siblings lived near each other. They didn't, you know, live across country or, or other places. They the family unit and community hundreds of years ago was you had a tribe that supported, nurtured you. We here in the United States do everything fucking by ourselves. Yeah. That oh, by the way, that was an extreme. A lot of stuff by ourselves, including our relationship. Yeah. And what's really sad is community helps hold a relationship together when you can share resources, when you can be there for one another. And sadly, we're doing a lot of stuff by ourselves, and it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, they were saying one of the key factors of living a long life and being healthy is to be in community. Yeah, and and having and it's not just about having friends, but it's like you know I, I look at my own life. Some of my my dearest friends live miles, if not thousands, of miles away from me. You know, I don't get to physically connect with them. We are now, and with COVID, you know, we are now, you know, we're in this Zoom type of environment, and we're missing that piece of connection, touching, hugging, you know, like the, you know, the value of a hug of someone you love, it, it, it like adds, you know, 10 minutes to your life, a 30, you know, a, you know, 10 second hug. And we're deprived of that. And pretty soon we're going to have an AI bot to solve all this. Oh my goodness. Listen, I know you've got a, you've got to run. Uh, how can people, uh, connect with you? What's your social media yeah. stuff or your YouTube channel? Sure. So, uh, thank you so much for allowing me to have this opportunity. I actually, I, I actually was able to, uh, ferret out some additional unique thoughts for myself through this conversation. So I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, okay, so first, I have a book called What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? It's on Amazon, and my name is Jonathan Asley, and I'm sure it'll be posted somewhere here. Yep. I also have a YouTube channel by with the same name, Jonathan Asley. And in the show notes of any video, it can take you to my website, which is Jonathan Asley, and that I'm sure it'll be listed here somewhere. Sure. And, um, and I appreciate the opportunity to share my perspective on things. Folks, let me just be clear. This is merely a perspective. I am not here professing truth, okay? But I will say if it resonates with you, then, you know, then, I'm, then I've, I've done my job right. of hopefully making a difference in someone's life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, it was really a pleasure to talk to you, Jonathan, and uh, hopefully we can do it again, and I'll pick another topic, and uh, we can chit-chat about it. I would be honored. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name's Timmy Gibson. I'm the host of the Timmy Gibson show where we talk about love dating and other wild shit. And, uh, yeah, really great conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Jonathan and I look forward to having him back on the podcast, uh, when we can reconnect and pick another topic or two and, uh, do it again. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Peace. Peace.